Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. This is episode number 83. And today we are going to be talking about how much you need to plant in order to have a year's worth of food. So today we're going to continue diving into self-sufficiency and the way people did things a long time ago when they were raising most of their own food and depending upon what they raised and put up to feed themselves for the entire winter. So specifically, I want to talk about how much you would need to plant in order to have a year's worth of food for each individual plant. So one of the reasons that we plant a garden is to be able to harvest and preserve enough food to take our family through an entire year until the next planting and then harvesting season. And we shared in episode 81, which was one of my favorite episodes that I did with my dad, and that was 17 self-sufficiency tips from the Great Depression in the 1940s. And almost all of the food that they ate when my dad was growing up was what they grew and put up themselves. And really, this used to be the way of life, planting and putting up your own food to see you through. It was how the pioneers did it. And really, up until like the 1940s and the 50s, even if you didn't grow all of it, everything, you know, was done on a much more local scale. We didn't have these huge, big agriculture and supermarkets and food was being shipped in from the other side of the country. And in some cases, even now, the other side of the world, not just the country. So our food system that we have in place today is actually relatively new compared to how it used to have been done. And most of us aren't relying completely on what we plan and preserve ourselves. We're still supplementing with the grocery store. But what if you did have to survive on what you'd planted and put up? How much money would it free up for you and your family if you weren't spending a lot on groceries every month? Because I don't know about you guys, but our grocery bill is one of the areas that can really quickly get out of hand or we can spend a lot of money without even realizing it. But it's also the area that we can really scale back. And if we need extra money, I know the one place that I can pull it from is the grocery bill. And part of that is because we do preserve and put up and we raise so much of our own food that I know that I can create meals from that. And if we have to rely on that, though, we can and I don't have to buy, you know, well, I'll have to plan all of our meals around that. And sometimes it can get a little bit monotonous in your meals. But the goal is to put up and raise up enough of our own that you've got enough variety that and to be self-sufficient, right? So let's really dive into this. Let's talk about what does growing a year's worth of food look like? Now, I have to be honest with you, this is going to vary a bit for every person and family in the region of the country and your growing season and where you live. So most of this, what I'm sharing you, I'm going to share the things that we do and what, how much we grow and plant in order to then preserve and put up enough from our family. And then I'm going to give you the average recommendations. But with any of this going into it, you just have to know that it's going to vary a little bit. So back in the pioneer days, as well as the Great Depression, like I said, most families grew some of their own food, and many of them relied solely or almost solely on what they grow and preserve to feed themselves through the winter months specifically. So how much do you need to grow per person for a year's worth of food? There are f three vegetable crops that we personally are growing enough of that I don't purchase from the store, like as in never. So keep in mind that this is a family of four, and my son is not a teenager yet. So these, this, so these amounts may change, especially if you've got teens who are eating a lot. Um, 
you know, so, but for us, this is where we're at right now. And beans. So yeah, probably guess this is one of my favorites. Talk about them all the time, I feel like. But green beans are just a great staple crop. So they go well all by themselves as your vegetable for a meal, or they'll help stretch a casserole or a stew. One of our favorite foods, it's so simple, but it's so good. And that is just to put on the stove a pot of green beans and simmer it with a little bit of fat back, aka bacon or a little piece of ham thrown in. It just gives it great flavor. It adds a little bit to it, gives it some heartiness. And you've got a great meal right there. Our strain of green beans is a pole bean, and when allowed to mature on the vine, that also doubles as a dried or shelled bean. And a lot of times, these are also referred to as shelly beans. So dried beans are awesome possum because they are packed with protein and calories. So a dried bean has a lot more protein and calories in it than a green bean, And this is one of the few times where we're actually going to get excited that our food has a lot of calories in it, right? Can I get an amen there? But when you're truly living off of what you grow yourself, especially if it's not livestock. So I do talk about livestock and we raise all of our own meat. We raise our own beef cattle, pork, meat chickens, and laying hens here on the homestead. And you can find those in the show notes. I've got some previous episodes that go specifically into growing your own livestock. And when you grow your own livestock, what's really cool is it allows you to render down a fat source. So you've got your own local fat source because that can be hard to come by if you don't have the ability to go to the store and buy or you don't have a dairy animal to get the butter from for a fat source, you know, that kind of or oils. It, but it can be hard to get a substantial amount of calories from just vegetables and fruit. Whereas you have a dried bean and that gives you both protein and calories a lot more in comparison to your other fresh vegetables or fruits. So that's why dried beans are really a great thing to have on your homestead when you're trying to raise a year's worth of food. So in my experience, a pole bean gives us a much larger larger harvest for the amount of space than a bush bean. So with our pole beans, I plant approximately a total of 30 plants. So we are doing the teepee method. I'm loving that. I've done lots of other methods for our pole beans as far as their structure support because they have to have something to climb. But right now, I'm loving the teepee method. So that's where you just take three poles. And ours are about six to seven feet tall poles. And you put them in the ground together just like you would the skeleton of a teepee. And you tie them together up at the top. And then you put your beans at the base of each of those poles. And then the beans climb up the teepee structure. So I do three bean plants on each six-foot pole with three poles to a teepee. So nine plants for each teepee. And I feel like I'm in a total story math problem, like going way back to grade school and high school there. But <laughs> from those uh, that amount of, which I get about 30 plants, like I said, in the ground, I can about 50 to 60 jars of green beans on an average year. If we have a really excellent growing season, a lot of times that's as much as 80 jars but it does depend on your growing season. We had a real extreme drought in this area, the worst in recorded history actually, last summer. And green beans, when you start to exceed temperatures over 85 degrees, they don't like when they flower, it doesn't set as fruit. So our harvest was actually cut short. So I was able to do 55 jars of green beans this past year, but normally I can get more out of those 30 plants than I did this year. Uh, We eat them fresh throughout the growing season. And then I save for both seed and then as a dry bean. And this year I did over 200 beans. Normally I have even more than that. But like I said, you know, it's going to vary. And when you're planning, especially if you're, you know, trying to do this when that's your entire food source for a year, 
when you have those extreme weather conditions, you do have to plan for that. And that's why a lot of times, especially my dad has uh, mentioned this and talked, you know, with the old timers, they would put up more food than what they would normally use in just one year. They would have extra in case there was a really bad growing season and they didn't get the harvest that they normally did. So they would try and plan ahead and they would stagger their stock that they would put up and they would try to put up excess just in case the next year they didn't have that growing season. Of course, you have to keep track and do some rotation in there when you do that to make sure you're using up your stock. But you know, keeping extra extra jars and planning that way is also a really smart thing, especially if this is you're doing this is trying to be your sole food source. So the average recommendation of bean plants per person for a year's worth of food is 10 to 20 plants per person. Again, that's going to depend upon your growing season, the condition of your soil, how much harvest you get. That's a pretty good average. And like I said, we do 30 plants for our family of four um, of the pole beans. So I thought I think that's pretty accurate. Um garlic. Garlic is such an easy crop to grow, especially when you do a fall planting. Now you can do spring planting, but when you do a fall planting, most of the winter your garden is lying fallow and the perfect time to put the ground to use is with garlic. So you harvest the garlic in the summer and then you can still use that space for some late summer and early fall crops before you put garlic in again. And with your growing, which we're not going to get a ton into in this episode, but it's always a good idea to practice crop rotation. And that just simply means you're not planting the same plant in the same spot of ground every year. So you wouldn't want to plant your garlic where you had planted garlic or onions the year before. So I like to, we rotate everything. We try never to plant anything in the same spot. And usually, especially with your nightshade families, like tomatoes and peppers, and then with your um, garlic and onions or leeks, those kind of families, um, it's recommended that you don't put them in the same soil, that you have at least three years in between. So anyways, you just get a little extra tidbit there. So there you go. (laughs) Uh, We tend to always double the garlic in a recipe at our house. I'm just saying. So for us, about 50 bulbs of garlic takes us all the way through the year. So the average recommended amount is 15 bulbs per person for a year. But with garlic, kind of like with everything else, I say err on the side of having too many because that's not really ever the case. I mean, I'm not kidding you. If it calls for like one clove of garlic in a recipe, we are always putting in at least two or three, right? Right. And the really cool thing about garlic is it can be used medicinally and you can also feed it to your livestock. Now, I know typically we think of corn. We don't necessarily think of garlic when we think of feeding it to our livestock. But the cool thing is with garlic is we give a few cloves of garlic every week to our piglets when we're raising our pigs. And many people also will supplement garlic for their chickens. Now, I have to tell you as far as the health benefits of feeding it to livestock, I have not came across any studies that prove that it works as a natural remedy, but I haven't came across any that prove that it doesn't. And so anytime that I can give our animals fresh vegetables and free food, free in the sense that we're growing it and I'm not purchasing it from the store, I think that's great. So I do it. I'm not saying that it's going to keep your animals from getting anything, but it's what we do. So I always give our piglets a couple of cloves of garlic. I don't necessarily do it every day when I feed them, but I try to make sure I do it at least a couple times a week. And I will link to in the show notes. So if you are listening to this on the go, just know that you can go to melissaknorris.com, click on the podcast button. This is going to be episode number 83. And we'll have full on show notes with links to everything. Tomatoes. We got to get into tomatoes, right? 
tomatoes. Tomatoes are probably the most versatile of all the vegetables. Now, I know, I know, no, technically it's a fruit. But from salsa to stewed tomatoes, tomato sauce, ketchup, pizza sauce, marinara, tomato soup. Now I'm really hungry and see tomatoes go with just about every meal and in between because I put my salsa in when I make chili and then salsa on eggs and oh my, yeah. The average recommendation is five tomato plants per person. Now, I grow 18 tomato plants for our family of four, and from those tomato plants, I am able to can close to 40 jars of salsa, about 10 to 15 quarts of stewed tomatoes, and then 25 jars of tomato sauce. For those of us planning on growing enough tomatoes for a year, that means we're going to have to preserve them. And when we're talking preserving, paste tomatoes are the name of the game. So I love cherry tomatoes and I love sliced tomato sandwiches. That is like my dad's favorite thing in the whole wide world is bread, mayonnaise, and tomatoes. Does anybody else eat that? Because it's a favorite around here. Yeah, just tomato sandwiches. Anyways, I digress. But paste tomatoes are going to carry you much farther with your canning and making your sauces because taste paste tomatoes don't have as much water. And so you're not having to cook them down as long in order to get your sauces. So when we're talking preserving, planting wise, make sure that you are planting for your five t- tomato plants per person. Like I said, we do, I get from 18, I get enough of that. Make sure you're doing a paste variety for all of your preserving. And speaking of preserving, I have a really special download for you guys today. So you're going to make sure that you go and grab that. And what I've got for you is a list of the 17 most common plants that are easily preserved, that people preserve and eat, that will take you through. And in that chart is the list of the plants and then how many plants you need per person. And then I've got over our my um, on the side, not on everyone, but almost every one of those plants, just some little notes on either how many plants we grow or how we preserve them or how it grows the best for us, that kind of a thing. So you can grab that as well as our ultimate home food preservation guide. Because if we're growing all this stuff to put it up enough to grow for a whole year, we need to be able to preserve it, right? Right. I wish that I could garden all year long and grow all our food, but we don't have that growing season. Here my growing season kind of starts. I can get my cooler weather crops in about April. I can't plant the summer warm vegetables in until mid to end of May. And then she is all done by about mid-September. So that means I need to be able to grow as much food as I can in that amount of time and preserve it up to take us through the rest of the month. So preserving that, and that's from, you can use your freezer, dehydrating, canning. I'm a canning girl. I I have a slight addiction to mason jars. Just putting that out there. So if that's you, you are in the right space. But we also get into root cellar techniques because your garlic and your onions, you need to cure those. And then those babies will last for a very long time, even if you don't have a root cellar, but using those techniques. And that works really good for a lot of your winter squash as well. And of course, potatoes. So you're going to want to grab your free access to the Ultimate Home Food Preservation Guide. And then you're also going to want to grab the chart that has how much you need to grow per person for year-round eating. So grab all of that at MelissaKNorris.com podcast button, episode number 82. 
So another crop that a lot of people like to put up, and we do too as well and grow, is your summer squash. So summer squash, and this is going to be your varieties of zucchini, crookneck squash, straight neck, round, and patty pan. So all those kinds of your summer squash. And generally speaking, they say about one plant per person. Now, usually your summer squash are quite prolific, which is why, like, if you live in gardening country, there's always that joke, like, when the zucchini is on, don't leave your door unlocked to your house or your windows down or your car unlocked because you'll come and find it filled with zucchini because zucchini are very, very prolific. And most summer squash, you know, cucumbers and that kind of a thing, they're just super prolific. So they put off a lot per plant, which is good, but we have to have a way to preserve those as well. So And with your summer squash, so I actually grate up and freeze a lot of the summer squash. You can can it, but it gets kind of mushy. I mean, it's soft. And I don't, I'm not a big fan of canning the summer squash. So if you are, that totally rocks. Leave it in the comments because I would love to have my mind changed. It's just not, not my thing. But with your summer squash, the great thing is, is one, it's great to just eat fresh, right? And then, like I said, I like to use a lot. I sub it a lot in breads and cakes, or I'll even use the shredded zucchini, and I have done pizza crust and kind of like use it in place of potatoes, try to make like faux tater tots and stuff with zucchini. And of course, I will even use zucchini and make noodles out of it, vegetable noodle, and then have, you know, the fresh tomato and marinara sauce with garlic and onions, oh, all on it. And I am hungry. Like, I'm recording this at dinner time, which is not a great idea because I am so starving now. But summer squash is also really great for making into relish and pickles. So you can make different relishes out of zucchini and some of your other summer squash as well. So it's really good, but usually about one plant per person in the family is what's considered the average to give you enough to take through the year. So for our family, I usually plant my squash, and this is both summer and winter squash, but the recommendation for one plant is just for the summer squash family. But I usually do it in hills. So I hill up the earth into a hill, hence the name hill. And usually I do about three plants per hill, and then I do two hills of each squash. So that actually ends up being, of course, if they all grow and everything great, actually six plants for a family of four. And maybe I just tend to use a little bit more summer squash than the average person, but I actually say one to two plants on average of your summer squash. And again, it's going to depend on your family and how much you eat of each thing. Now, winter squash, I really do love my winter squash. And one of the reasons I love my winter squash so much, and this includes pumpkin as well, but acorn, butternut, hubbard, all of those squashes, and especially spaghetti squash. But here's why. Because you can root cellar using root cellar techniques, which I also have in a previous episode. So you can catch if you want to learn more about root cellaring, especially how to do it if you don't have an actual traditional root cellar, is episode number 70, and that's 10 tips on storing vegetables without a root cellar long term. So you can catch that there, and I will link to that in this episode show notes as well. But the cool thing with winter squash is, like I said, you can use your root cellar techniques. You don't have to can it. You can can it, but it does require a pressure canner, and there's some very specific ways that you can only can your winter squash, can't do purees. But... Winter squash does extremely well using root cellar techniques, especially spaghetti squash. So get this, you guys, with spaghetti squash, which is technically a winter squash, and the average recommendation for that one is about two to three plants per person. And again, I found two hills 
which is three of each plant, so a total of six, which is actually a little bit less than the recommendation, is really great for us. So I have had just on the open shelving in my kitchen, so regular house temperature, I have successfully stored spaghetti squash that we have harvested at the end of August, get this, until the end of March. Yeah, pretty cool. So spaghetti squash for me has had the longest shelf life as far as root storing, root cellaring techniques and storage. But spaghetti squash is really awesome if you're looking for an easy plant to be able to harvest and not really have to do anything with. It's lasted the very longest. So two to three plants per person. Like I said, um, we actually do just a total of six plants for a family of four on our winter squash. And that has been really sufficient for us, but it's going to depend on how many varieties you've got going on and how much you eat of it. Now, one thing that you want to keep in mind too, when you're planning out food, especially if you're trying to do it from a self-sufficiency standpoint, you know, be it you just want to lower your food bill, you want to eat healthily, you want to grow and put up more of your own food yourself, you know, whatever your reasons may be, maybe, you know, survivalism, preparedness, like whatever it is, doesn't really matter, right? Because the end results or the goal that we're all trying to accomplish is the same. But if you are looking for your vegetable garden and your fruits to kind of be your main source of your food storage and what you would be eating, like the pioneers did. So I know that a lot of us Growing a garden and growing our own food is something that we can do on a level, even if you're more urban or live in the city. And there's lots of different ways that people do this. I've had people email me and they've got garden plots at friends that have a large yard or may live in the country and they don't. And their friends will let them put a garden plot in on their property. They just come and do the work and take care of it and then they can share on the harvest. There's community gardens available. A lot of times in cities, they're putting in community gardens where you essentially rent a piece of land and usually... There's some rules following like the use of different, you know, sprays and stuff. And we do as organically as possible and natural methods here. So that's, that's not an issue, but there's usually a set of guidelines. If you do a community garden plant, so you just kind of need to be aware of that. There's going to probably be some restrictions and some rules that you need to follow. But if you're really serious about it, usually you can find a way, even if you don't own your own land to grow some of your own food. And some of that may just be with container gardening, but you can grow quite a bit in containers as well. But one thing that you really need to consider is you need to make sure, especially if you're just doing mainly your vegetables, you know, hunting isn't something or growing, raising livestock for a meat source is that you've got varieties in there that have the high calorie content like we mentioned with the dried beans. So dried beans have a higher protein and calorie content. And a couple other items that you're going to want to consider as well are peas. Now, snow peas are great because they're the little green edible pods that you can plant and they're sweet and they're great in stir fry or just to eat. Like I just love to just pick them and, you know, put them in a little bit of homemade yogurt and make up like a little sauce and oh my goodness, so good. They're kind of like a vegetable candy because you can just eat them and anyways, I mentioned I was hungry, right? (laughs) So dried peas though specifically. Dried peas are an excellent source of calories as well as protein, just like your dried beans. So putting in a pea variety, a shelled pea variety, is something that you may want to consider as well because we want to make sure that we've got enough categories of of some different plants so that we are meeting a calorie source. So dried beans, which would be a shelly bean, and dried peas are going to meet that. So you'll want to consider adding in some shelly beans or some dried peas into your crops. 
Now, another crop that a lot of people like to grow and, and or talk about is corn. Now, corn is actually not something that we grow and is typically one of the foods that we put up as our yearly food source. So corn takes up a lot more space. So you're going to need about, on average, 15 corn plants per person. So And corn needs to be planted in a square. So you don't want to plant it in just one long singular row because you're not going to get as good of pollination rate. And if you don't get the goodest pollination rate, then you're not going to get the harvest, right? So corn needs to be done in like a a grid or a square type pattern. So for us, I know that I can take the same square footage and fill that with other crops and get a lot more for that square footage in my garden as far as our food than I can with corn. So corn's not a crop that I grow as far as our food storage for a year. We do grow some just to have for fresh eating, but it's not one of my main crops. And one of the other reasons is I know that we've got local farmers around here that I can go and purchase the corn from. If I decide that I want to preserve it and can it or freeze it and put it up for us eating throughout the year. But we really, as a family, we just don't eat that much corn. So corn's not something that we have a lot of in our diet. And so I really don't buy corn um, throughout the year. Like I don't have canned corn isn't something that I use very much in our cooking. So it's just not an item that we decide to grow, which is the beauty of growing your own food. But I know a lot of people like corn. And if you're growing corn... It's also typically thought of as a livestock food, right? So if you need to be able to grow enough crops in order to feed livestock, especially like the pioneers did, that was why corn was something because it could be dried and it could be easily stored and then fed to your animals. So we mainly do grass feed and we purchase that um, locally here, some grass hay when during the winter months when our pasture isn't producing enough to feed the animals. So corn's not something that we do, but I know a lot of people do. So I wanted to include that in here. But uh, on average, about 15 plants per person is recommended for your corn. So like I mentioned, you can go and grab in the show notes and get your links to the full-on chart that has the over 17 with the average recommendations and notes on those crops for how much to plant a year and your ultimate home food preservation guide. And today's episode is brought to you by the Made From Scratch Life. The Made From Scratch Life will transform how you approach food, cleaning, gardening. It will teach you how to create your own custom heirloom garden with planting and harvesting charts, troubleshoot common gardening problems with natural solutions, and discover the many benefits of growing your own food. With solutions, if you don't have a large yard or any growing space, you'll save money and increase your self-sufficiency by learning how to preserve food at home with step-by-step instructions and tips so you can safely preserve your own homemade jams and jellies without store-bought pectin and line your shelves with homed canned goodies. Create your own food storage and fill your pantry with real food. Welcome to our verse of the week. And I know we are talking about growing things and growing our own food. And this verse often comes to mind. And it is John 15, verse 5. And it's, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And as someone who has fruit trees and fruit plants and knows the significance of pruning and for the branches to be obviously attached to the tree, I find this verse more, as I've went about pruning our trees, I've really been thinking about this verse quite a lot. 
And as we prune, we prune so that the tree is healthier, it's more vigorous, and we actually end up getting more harvest off of the tree when we cut parts away. So that's the whole purpose of pruning. Another thing that I find really interesting too is oftentimes you'll come across really old fruit trees that have not been taken care of. They haven't been pruned and you'll have sometimes the fruit tree itself will actually be totally fallen over but its roots are still in the ground and it will be completely, it looks crippled. Like it's just crippled and broken over this really old fruit tree. But it will still produce a harvest because the tree is still intact and those branches are still touching and attached to that tree and it's still rooted in the ground. And of course, you're not going to get as much of harvest from this old crippled tree as you one that has been pruned and taken really good care of. But I actually really like that <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I don't always walk with the Lord as closely as I would like. And I don't always do things that I'm necessarily proud of the way I may have reacted in a situation. But when I look at that, I remind, I'm reminded that as long as I am still God's and that I'm still trying to walk in him. And as long as I come back to him and, you know, with prayer and repentance, that his grace and mercy will still use me no matter how bad I can mess up in a situation. As long as I'm still with him, he can still produce a harvest in me. So I actually have a fondness for those broken and crippled trees, sometimes even a little bit more than my vigorous ones that I've been taken care of. So I hope if you're like me and you've went through maybe a hard patch in life, you're going through something hard, or you might not have always acted as you wanted to, to just remember that as long as we still stay in the Lord, that he will use those hard times with his grace and mercy and those things that we have messed up with or went through, and that as long as we just give it to him, that he will still bring a harvest and good fruit from that. Thank you so much for listening and joining me. I hope you have an awesome day.